0: Good morning, church. Woo, that's a hot mic. I have been a short timer here for a while, and this morning I have a short time. You not know, have only one preacher, not two preachers, but you have three preachers preaching this morning. So I hope the food downstairs is on, is on a warmer, because we just might be here for a little while. Hope that didn't make you nervous. <clears throat> in uh, In these last days, as as my time down here has been winding down, the Lord has brought several uh, passages, several verses uh, to my mind. Uh, He's been good that way over the years, and I think you can relate to that, that when you immerse yourself in the Word of God in different circumstances and time, the Holy Spirit brings that Word back up to you. We need to immerse ourselves in the Word of God. You don't want to be the student who, facing the final exam, prayed, Oh, Lord, help me remember the things that I have not read. And so one of the passages, there's actually been three passages. One is, I'm getting there, Gail, hang on. One was Jeremiah 29.11, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. We're not going to Jeremiah, just don't start turning in your Bible, I'm going to wear your fingers out. Jeremiah 29.11, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, that's been my life verse. And then uh, Proverbs 3, don't go there yet. Not going there. But Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. He will will straighten your paths. And this morning, a third one. Now you can go there if you want. Psalm 127. Just a couple of verses. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stands guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. Three times something is called vain. This is written by Solomon. You might remember in Ecclesiastes, Vanities of Vanities, meaningless, meaningless, futile, futile. I sound like the Amplified Bible. But unless the Lord is involved in it, it really has no meaning. Whatever we do apart from the Lord is just fuel for the fire. It's not going to last. And so unless unless the Lord builds the house, the builders build in vain shelter. If we are finding our shelter in something apart from the Lord, then we're not living in a very secure shelter. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen watch in vain. Security. Unless the Lord is our security, we really don't have any. And we, we try to put our Hope in all kinds of things, don't we, as a people? And they all turn out to be uh, too weak to sustain us, at least for very long. And then toiling from early morning to to late at night for our food, for our provision. Unless the Lord provides, it becomes meaningless. Um, I was told to... Um, talk about the past. I don't always do what I'm told. I, I prefer to think that a rearview mirror is much smaller than a windshield. And I don't want to forget what's behind, but I want to, to, to look forward. And from these verses throughout the past... I've seen time and time again the Lord building, the Lord guarding, the Lord providing. And the toil and the and and the hardship and the sleepless nights, and there's been a few, have come when I didn't trust the Lord for what he was building, what he was guarding. And what is providing. So I'm, I'm just going to touch on the past in that way that over the 16 years here and, 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 and beyond that, I have had the joy of experiencing the Lord build, guard, and provide. One of the joys that it has been to be a part of this church is, 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 a, is a group of people that has changed over time. But what has stayed constant is the desire for the Lord to be Lord in this place. And he goes back beyond um, the 16 years I've been. I, I, I went and found a list of pastors. I am the 33rd pastor. Tim, you're number 34. But 34 times because one of them came twice. 34 times this has happened, a change in leadership at the pastoral level. Typically what used to happen, and what I was used to, is the previous pastor would leave and the new pastor would show up. Twice I had the experience of coming in on a Sunday morning and saying, Hi, I am your pastor. Awkward. Awkward. So Superintendent Randy, I appreciate what he's doing with doing this type of installation and, and having a point in time that says, yes, there is a change in leadership. When I came here, um, Pastor Jack, Jack Qualls, um, he did something on his own. Uh, we did, a, a, during a Wednesday night um, Bible study thing, had the church come and he, he handed me a baton. It wasn't a baton like you see at track and field. It was actually a, a toy cheerleader's baton, but, but, but that's all he could find. And uh, passing the baton. And then he handed me a gavel. I still haven't quite figured that one out, though it, it was on my bookshelf. And actually, I, I still have it. And so I know we're going to do the installation service. But I want to just do something my, myself. Uh, not long after I had been here, this, this was given to me. I think I remember who gave it to me, but I'm not going to take a chance and name that person. In case after 15 years I got it wrong. But when this was given to me, it spoke to me that in some semblance I was accepted. And appreciate it. And I want to, I left this on, on the door that's now Tim's door. But, but I want to give this to you, Tim, formally. Because it's the cross. It's the life and blood and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that makes us able to be God's children in this place. And it's the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit of God present that empowers us and enables us to do His will. It is it is His um, presence and His power that enables us to to know and to do God's will, to let God build His house, to let God guard His house, to let God... Uh, provide. Because in, in those verses, it's, it's, it's not just what God does. See, there's, there's two extremes. One says, well, God's just going to do it. I don't have to do anything. And then there's the other extreme that says, it's all up to me. I, I don't know which one's worse. I think they're equally bad. Because it, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builder builds in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, The watchman watches in vain. See, God's plan from the very beginning was this joint venture. He created human beings, Adam and Eve, and gave dominion and were to work with God in nurturing his creation. I'm not sure what that would have looked like because things went off track, didn't they? But still, that continues to today. And so... There's been a number of illustrations used to illustrate that, but I'm going to use crew chief this morning. See, a crew chief is someone who is a worker but has a lead role with the workers, but yet there's someone over the crew chief, the builder, the one who is uh, designing and executing that design. And so, Tim, you and I, we're, we're, we're crew chiefs. We are laborers. We are workers like everyone. I'm all for Ephesians 4, the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. We are all laborers. But there are those that get appointed into lead roles, but we don't stop being workers. And so we're crew chiefs. And so from one crew chief to another crew chief, to one who is leaving with gratitude for 16 years here who's hoping for the new crew chief for many, many years of fruitful uh, ministry as the Lord builds his house, as he guards, and as he provides. And has been so well prayed this morning. Produces the fruit that it is his will and desire to do in this place. So, Tim, you don't have to come up. I'll, I'll bring it to you.
1: every microphone turns on differently this is the what's called the ritual portion in our discipline and uh, more formal portion the portion that the superintendent would have done if he weren't in Scotland and on sabbatical and uh, so at this time I'm going to ask Tim and Angie both to come up here on the platform with me and we have some some scripture and some questions and so forth. So, It is a privilege today to pray for and install Tim Walls as the lead pastor here at the Florence Evangelical Church. In scripture we read, the elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Serve as overseer, not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest game, but eagerly. Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being a crew chief. That isn't written here, but we'll add that in. But being examples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the, glory of, the crown of glory that does not fade away. That's from First Peter chapter 5. Pastor Tim, Jesus Christ, the guest shepherd of the, the Great Shepherd of the Church, has called you to the office of the lead pastor. The Pacific Conference Superintendent Randy Myers has assigned you to pastor and lead this church. I therefore ask you in the presence of God and this congregation the following questions: Are you willing and ready to take upon yourself the holy office of the lead pastor of this church? Will you furthermore faithfully fulfill its duties in accordance with the Word of God? If so, answer, I am willing and ready with the help
2: of God. I am ready and willing with the help of God.
1: Do you promise to the best of your ability to preach the Word of God, to administer the the Holy Sacraments, to equip its members for ministry, to pastor this congregation, and to lead this church, to reach out to this community, and the world for the gospel and the glory of Christ, if so answer I do so promise the Lord being my helper.
2: I do so promise the Lord being my helper.
1: This last charge is for you as a congregation. You all who are part of the Florence Evangelical Church family, have heard the commitments made by Tim, who has been appointed to be your lead pastor. Do you now, on your part, receive him in this care in this In this character and office, do you further promise according to the grace that is given you to uphold him and your church with your prayers, your presence, and to follow his leadership in order to serve others, and by this be fruitful together for the glory of God? If so, answer, we do, the Lord being our helper. Upon this mutual assurance and pledge, we do now install you, Tim, as the lead pastor of the Florence Evangelical Church, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord who called you bless you in his service, enlighten, strengthen, and guide you through his Holy Spirit, that you may lead this congregation as a faithful laborer, bringing forth fruit into eternal life. And Tim and Angie, and I'm going to give this to Angie, to you, because Tim's going to stay up here and Hi. take yeah. his turn. Uh, <laughs> but it's a certificate from the Conference of Installation. You have other certificates, a license, and an ordination. But for your time being here, this is the most important. That's right. Hey. Lord bless both of you. Thank you, much.
2: I Might keep this around, put that right there how are you all doing today good good i 'm excited to be here um, it 's uh, I was talking with a friend this week, and uh, he thought it was funny that uh, they recently had a, a minister installed at their church, and he thought it was funny how we call it installation like appliances like you install like a range or a washer or dryer. Um, I have a little bit of background in appliances, and so I got a chuckle out of that for sure. Um, It's uh, it's really a pleasure to be here again. It's been a a little less than a month since I got to uh, bring uh, the message here, and um, it's been just a whirlwind getting us to this point. I remember uh, when I first applied uh, that uh, Superintendent Randy and I, we worked in the same building, uh, believe it or not, uh, because I was working as a part-time janitor at Valley View Church, um, a church that I used to lead worship at. It was a fun experience. I won't go into all of that. But Randy works in the same building, just down a couple of flights of stairs and whatnot. So almost every day I would... Kind of wait with anticipation, being like, "Is it? Is it happening now? Is it now? <laughs> Am I assigned now? Is is now the time?" And uh, so, I I started getting choked up there when uh, Carl said that I'm assigned. It's like now, now is the time. So, uh, I love what Rob said that you get three preachers, so you never know what's going to happen. Um, Thankfully, I have a, a manuscript this time, so I'll try to stick to that, but who knows what's going to happen there. Uh, so I, I was given the charge to you know, think about the future, and uh, that made me consider, okay, my future here in Florence and our future here as a church, what is that? And uh, one phrase that kept sticking out to me Uh, time and time again was this phrase, loving the lost into the family of God. Loving the lost into the family of God. That's something that's been ingrained in me for the past year or so. And I believe that it's a beautifully true picture of God's heart for you and for me and for everyone around us. In the same way that Pastor Rob just shared that God is the one who builds the house I believe we can find proof in the Bible that God will build his family, and we are that family. The local church, small, medium, or large, is at its core a family, and it's a family that's full of loved, chosen, saved, redeemed people, lost people who are continuing to be found by a God who loves you at your worst. Who hopes for you when you have no hopes, and dreams for you, and ultimately wants you and me and all of us to find and live life to the full? So, for just a moment, if you take your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11, I'd like to look at the the story of the prodigal son. If you're not familiar with that story. We're going to read it right now. Uh, but at least culturally, we have the concept uh, that's pretty well known in our culture today, that idea of uh, prodigal. All right. Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Whew. Man. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate the feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. How many of you know that's good? A party starts. Get that party started. Meanwhile... The older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I have slaved for you, and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to and in all that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes you celebrate by killing the fattened calf his father said to him look dear son you have always stayed by me and everything i have is yours We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Amen. I want to briefly share three parts of the story that jumped out at me as I was considering our future as a church. The first is the perspective of the prodigal son. When he came to his senses... This guy's hit rock bottom, he's in the middle of his mess, Uh, he has this thought that, you know, workers, hired hands in his father's house have it better than he does, and so he decides to go back, and I mean, that's a, a literal, I mean, anything's better than being in a pig pen trying to eat pig food, so just being real. But this way of thinking reveals that he doesn't really know the father, he has no clue, even though he's related to him. He doesn't know the father. He doesn't know because all he can see is how far he's gone away from the father and the family and how bad things are right now. So the son goes back thinking that all the father would receive from him would be work. That, all that, that the only way the father would accept him As if he proved his worth through service. And since this story really shows us the heart of God the Father, the truth is that that way of thinking confuses the character of God with the character of the world. The character of this world just wants a transaction. What can you give me so that I can give you something? And so thinking that the only way that God's going to take us back or would ever have anything to do with us is through religion or through our own efforts somehow. That is somehow what we do and not who we are. It fails to see that the God who created you and loved you enough to go through death and the grave to bring you new life has actually chosen you and me and everyone while we were still sinners, lost in our mess. But despite that limited perspective, at least he had the the thought, man, I should go back home. I should go back to the father. So the second part I'd like to highlight is the loving response of the father. You know, the father, he had every right to be offended by the actions of his son. The father had every reason to believe the worst about this kid. This same father, though, had such a deep, deep, deep love for his son that he didn't care how foolish of a decision this was he loved his son he was still his boy so when he saw his son return he did what most men his age would not do and he booked it he ran to go meet his son and you know what's interesting to me before the son could even get a word out to try to prove his worth to his father. That whole speech that he'd been rehearsing the whole time on his way from the pig bin back to his dad, he wasn't able to say anything and the father embraced him. The father ran to him, which means that he still chose his son. The father embraced him, which means that He received and accepted his son right where he was at, stank and all. He was just hanging out with pigs, y'all. That's pretty stanky. Have y'all driven past a pig pen? It's not good. So my point is, that's love right there that a dad would do that. But then not only that, he kisses his child, which means that the father's love was not an accident. It wasn't an afterthought. It was intentional. He meant to do it. And that love ultimately led to the son realizing his place in the family again. But catch this, the prodigal didn't work for it. He didn't work for his place. The father, in his mercy and love for the son, made the way for the son to be brought back into the family. The father built his family. The loving response of the father shows us that God wants the lost to be found. Here, Jesus shows us that God the father is loving the lost into the family. And lastly, the third part I'd like to briefly highlight highlight is the prideful response of the elder brother. News of the celebration reaches the prodigal's brother, uh, and his response is pretty much the opposite of the father's. The older brother was obedient he was faithful he made sure to honor the father and all his actions the older brother who was someone who i imagine worked pretty hard and he probably had to pick up the slack from all his younger brother's wanderings he was probably pretty personally mad at his brother and we know that because it said that he was he was angry that his brother had returned now i would submit to you today that That the older brother, even though he had been faithful all those years, was still just as lost and needed the love of the father as the prodigal did. Because he didn't really know the father's character either. He thought that the father should be just as indignant as he was because he was offended on the father's behalf. He didn't have a clue because all he could see is how he had stayed with the father and stayed with the family all that time and that that staying and that work had made a difference and that he was so wrapped up in what he could do that he forgot who he was. A son. Mm -hmm. The older brother believed that his worth and placement in the family was secured by what he could do. But that's not how the love of God works. That's not the hope of the gospel. That's not why we're here this morning. We are a family that's centered on the fact that though we don't deserve it and we have not earned it, God, in his mercy and his love for us, while we were lost, his love made the difference to bring us back into family. And so the challenge for us this morning is this. How will we respond when we experience someone in the world who is lost, assuming we've been found? Whether they walk through these doors of the church or if we meet them in our everyday life when we're at the grocery store or, you know, getting hardware down at True Value or anywhere else in town, maybe walking the boardwalk, I don't know. When we encounter somebody, how do we respond to them? Do we respond like the older brother or like the father? Family, my heart for you and for me is twofold. That we would experience the reckless but intentional love of God and that everything we think, say, and do would be shaped by that reality. The second thing is that we would show that same love that we've received from the Father to everyone we meet. A love that pursues before anyone goes through the doors of this building. And that you would seek out people in your life who are lost. That you wouldn't just hang out with all your saved friends. And that even if they don't look like you, or talk like you, or act like you, or smell like you, hopefully they smell a little better have some deodorant on or something, make them smell a little better. (laughs) But, you know, that you would seek them out and that you would show them that love because they need it. And we still need it each and every day. I don't know about you, but even though I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I I still need God's grace and God's mercy. I still need love. I, I need His love to shape me. And so, I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm I'm not having to go to the father with either. And so, my heart for our church as we go forward is that we would be a people loving the lost into the family of God. And so now, I think this is where I invite our third preacher for the day. My teacher, Pastor Carl DeP-
1: Yeah, your third, third preacher. That's tough. To, <laughs> for for any congregation. Remember the little the boy fell out of the window when Paul only one preacher preached till midnight. Um, so, stay in your seats. <laughs> one thing that's been missing because we've been condensing whole sermons down into what was supposed to be seven minutes originally, um, is the stories. So I'm going to end with a story. But uh, I just want to uh, share with you that uh, uh, I've, I've had interaction with Tim and Angie all along the way for a while now. Uh, for that matter, I had three of their family, their young family, in my preaching class. Um, so uh, that was an exciting thing for me to see them come down here. And then I worked with Tim in the office when I was assistant to the superintendent, and he was uh, between ministry respons- responsibilities, and and he did, did just whatever I told him to do. I, I don't know what the job description was, but uh, uh, so it's good to be here with you and to share this. You've heard about the uh, past and the future, so I'm here for the present, which is to pray for uh, Tim and Angie, and we're going to do that uh, in a minute. I'm going to shorten my words a little bit because already four of you have prayed and have been examples of what I'm going to talk about. And so you've already seen or heard uh, the example of of prayer for uh, your leader. And so we're going to kind of take that direction. But I'm going to read first from 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 through 8. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling you the truth, I am not lying. I am a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that, and what followed at this point was a number of, of exhortations, but I'm just going to read the first one. I desire then that in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. We're kind of wrapping up the installation service. And uh, I want to do that by calling all of us, not just the congregation of the Florence Church, but others who are gathered here, and I don't know if that's just Nancy and I or, or what, but all of us, Uh, to pray for Tim and Angie. Uh, We don't really need that reminder. Throughout scripture, uh, we have examples of praying for uh, those who are in leadership over us. If you remember, uh, Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, he called them to pray, and they prayed all night for him to understand and get a vision. Uh, He was their leader, their example, and they stood by him in prayer. Uh, We see that kind of prayer in the early church when Peter was in prison, and he was expecting the same fate fate as as, uh, uh, James had already been uh, murdered by King Herod. And uh, the church went together at Mary's house to pray, and uh, he was released by an angel. So, again, praying for their leader. We see this kind of prayer requested by Paul in Ephesians 6. And pray also for me that words may be given me in opening my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Who could imagine that someone like Paul would need prayer, that he would open his mouth and preach and proclaim the message. But he asked for that. He needed it. Uh, now I can preach a whole sermon on, on the, the motives for praying here, for protection, and for proclamation of the good news, and for a proper testimony, uh, those, those are all given in this passage i could I could probably preach for far more than than four Sundays on the four different kinds of prayer that are mentioned here, and you 've probably heard that teaching supplication and and prayers, which I think is related to praise and intercession and thanksgiving. all of that needs to be made those kind of prayers made on behalf of your leader, uh, Tim and his wife Angie. Um, but I would rather simply call upon you as the congregation of the Florence Church to do what this last verse calls us to, and which is to lift up holy hands in prayer. You see, it really doesn't matter why you pray or how you pray for Tim and Angie, but that you pray lifting up holy hands. And then, as was prayed earlier, the Holy Spirit will lead you into how to pray and what to pray for them. One day you'll be interceding for wisdom for Tim as he prepares Sunday's sermon. The next day you might be thanking God for bringing Angie by the house just when you needed a listening voice. One time you might be praying for their protection as they head up to Portland to visit family. The next day you might be praying for Pastor Tim as he shares the gospel with someone, maybe your neighbor, that you pointed out to him and and brought him into relationship with. What matters is that in all these scenarios that you pray out of a holy heart, which deals with our attitudes, and pray with holy hands, which deals with our actions and our relationships one with another. another. This isn't some theological concept of holy living that prepares our prayer life. It is actually living a righteous life. And loving one another out of a pure heart, as we read in 1 Timothy 1.5. That prepares us. That's what prepares us for praying for those in leadership over us. I just want to bring this to a close with my experience of people praying for their pastor. And not people praying for me as I was their pastor. I could lift up dozens of names over the three churches that I pastored over about 45 years of people who are just prayer warriors. But rather, I want to go back further than that, uh, to the Evangelical Church in Maupin. I grew up in Maupin. My dad was a pastor there in Maupin for quite a number of years. We had prayer meeting every Thursday night. Now, that's an odd night for prayer meeting, but it fit with the the school schedules and with the, the town. And for that matter, no one in town back then, we're talking... 50-plus years, 55-plus years, maybe 60-plus years. No one back then planned anything on the church night because they knew the church was gathering to pray. They knew that in our community. Every Thursday evening, a group of about 20 to 25 people met at the church and they prayed. These were salt-of-the-earth kind of people. They were law-abiding, honest businessmen and women Trustworthy neighbors, they were people with a reputation for godliness in the community. I'm going to give some names none of you will even know, but they would have been in those prayer meetings. Mr. and Mrs. McCorkle, my first employers. Agnes Crabtree, my junior junior Sunday school teacher. The Paulson family, farmers up on Juniper Flat. My youth leader, Mrs. Moynihan. And every Thursday evening, they would gather with a larger group than that would gather and meet in prayer. Now, I don't remember the, the words that they used. I, I don't remember what they prayed for, except that I know they prayed for my dad as their pastor. And from time to time, and they weren't shy and doing it out loud, prayed for me, the pastor's son, and, and my brothers and sisters and so forth. But I do remember their lives, Lives that demonstrated holy hands lifted up in prayer. And I know those lives, those, those righteous lives that impacted that community for years, but that impacted me for the next 50 plus years. Friends here at Florence, that is what I'm calling you to. Yes, prayer, intercession, thanksgiving, and supplication, and so forth. Yes, the right motives, Uh, that everyone be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth mentioned here in this passage. But the most important, that holy hands be lifted up in prayer, that your hands might be holy, that your attitudes might be holy, that you might live righteous lives in this community, so that as you pray for Tim and Angie, their impact will just be that much greater. So, I want to do what I'm just calling you to do, and I'm going to ask Tim and Angie to come up here again, maybe stand on the the lower extension out here. So, we'll have you do that, and uh, I'm going to put this down for the moment, and I'm going to invite all of you to come up, and hopefully enough of you will be up close enough. You won't all be able to put your hands on Tim, but... uh, Pastor Rob and I will, and we will pray for Tim. So, come if you would.